Welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch. And we uh, thank our sponsor, uh, Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis, stlmasses.com. I'll be talking about them in a little bit. But uh, a man who needs no introduction to St. Louis sports fans, I'm excited today. I think the last time I talked to Kevin Slayton was 1993. (laughs) That's a long time, Kevin. Uh, That's a long time ago. You're you're making us feel old. I, I, I blame myself. I don't know uh, where I've been or where you've been. Uh, to uh, I never called, but I would love for at some point you to say, turn him down. <laughs> <laughs> turn him down. Uh, and Carpe Diem to you as well. Seize the day. So tell us a little bit. I know uh, right now you're on uh, 1190 in the mornings, and uh, you do some sports, but you're doing some other talk over there. They they kind of have a, a a different format, so just kind of let people know what you've been up to uh, of late on 1190 AM. Yeah, I do the uh, morning drive time show, 7 to 9, and 1190, 1190 to Patriot. And uh, our two hours are a mix of sports and politics and uh we're stirring up. We have fun. It's pretty much the same edge as it always has been when it was just sports, but um, I just uh, wanted to do more, and so we uh, created a different kind of a show, and now uh, we've been doing it for over two years at uh, 1190, and we're having a lot of fun. It feels like a perfect format and a perfect time for you because, oh, I don't know, people seem to have some opinions about what's going on in the world, and well, I think you have a few as well, right? I, I certainly do, and... Um, that's why I enjoy doing it because so few uh, people in any form of media uh, are looking at the way things are honestly and giving credit where credit's due, which is to the president, President Trump. And uh, unfortunately in our society today, the mainstream media is 1995, maybe 100% liberal. And it's not supposed to be that way. It didn't matter in the old days when Walter Cronkite was doing the news or Humphrey Brinkley and those type Peter Jennings. They were all liberal, but you never knew it. And they simply gave you the news. But today, it's an agenda-driven media. It's it's an agenda-driven left-wing lunatic media. And so it's a lot of fun uh, to be on the other side and take them on. Yeah, I, I listen to a lot. I'm basically 100% podcast, so I need you to podcast this thing a little more, figure out a way. I've been looking for it forever uh, because I do get sick of listening to the same podcast over and over. I need to find you more. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get up as early in the morning as you are on the radio. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, you can, uh, you can listen to our podcast to TK. That's where we have it, and so it's available probably just a couple hours after we're up here. I will look forward for that because I had I had been looking for it, but uh, I think that's why I called that. I have nothing else to ask now. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I do. I was thinking about when I when I started thinking about talking to you because, like I said, it had been a while. I, I started a cable access show in 1993. Uh, I was 16, and um, you had just kind of started doing sports radio. And I was like, man, I like I like what Kevin's doing because before you came on. It was pretty much Camo X and hello, we'll take your calls. Call in and four three six seven nine hundred, and they'd take your call and they'd move on. And you would come on and you'd complain about uh, Joe Torrey and uh, why, why is Ozzy Smith still playing? And I said, God, this is interesting because it's this is something I've never heard, and I kind of want to get into that. And I didn't, I don't think I ever got obviously. <laughs> um, the reps that you got, but just tell me a little bit about those early days of sports radio in St. Louis and kind of developing that style of kind of taking on the man where, you know, there was no criticism like that happening in the early nineties. 
Well, it was it was uh, even before that uh, when I first started doing it. But it, it was very simply uh, seeing what you see and then commenting honestly on it. With uh, Randazzi Smith, I actually wanted to ask something. Going, I was uh, that that, that uh, business with Larusa was uh, disgraceful. The way he treated Randazzi Smith, Jim Tory was a guy who couldn't manage with a damn unless you gave him the best team in baseball. Uh, he, he gets in the Hall of Fame because he had the best players that George Steinberg could put around him. And then my way of thinking is, any idiot could have won with those Yankees. He couldn't win with the Cardinals. He got one round, he got one round of the playoffs when he was with the Braves. He couldn't win with the Mets. He only won big with the Yankees. And so, uh, when he was here, there was plenty to gripe about because of the way the team was losing and the Cardinals wouldn't spend any money. And, uh, that, those, those were truths. And so I commented on them with regularity and that was different in this town. It, uh, it, as far as taking on the establishment, I had no problem with that because when they're wrong, they're wrong. But they were used to getting treated with kid gloves, and in fact, for the most part, still are. But <clears throat> there was a rebellion against my style from the people who ran the sports organizations. Sometimes it was the coaches, sometimes it was the management. But very few of them enjoyed my show. Mark Lamping was one of them. But the rest of them pretty much uh, thought, well, who's this guy? And he's, he's really upsetting the apple cart here. You bring up Tony, and I, I always enjoyed uh, your take on Tony because I, I do think he's a a pretty good manager. But I do think the differences, and, I, and I, I believe this to this day. Once he left, it really did change the dynamic of the team because now Mosaic pretty much has carte blanche. Tony was the reason why they would. I mean, he literally would just sit, uh, or he'd play a Joe Thurston every night until he got. Matt Holiday, or he got you know Jim Edmonds, or who he wanted to run the team. He wanted you know a lot more th- authority than what Mo probably wanted to have with him. But um, I think there was a lot of obviously interesting decisions he made, and I think you hammered him. It, it was pretty fun, but but it is different now, right? I mean, do you feel like maybe you need a Tony, even even if you get kind of upset with the way he runs a team, you need some sort of checks and balances in the managerial role because. Feels like baseball doesn't have it anymore. Well, I don't. The, the, the way the Cardinals were structured, uh, Mo, once Mosellock left, uh, Larusa wanted to be the guy, the guy in charge. But uh, Mosellock still had control over acquisitions of players. But Larusa had control over who would play. And so you're right. If he if he wanted to acquire somebody and Mosellock would do it, he played bums just to prove his point. Uh, my problem with Larusa were, were twofold. I think he's a rotten person, and I don't think he's a good manager. I, I think baseball, as Mitch Williams once told me, an 11 year old can run a baseball team. And uh, there are some famous quotes out there from a lot of managers, one of which was Billy Martin. He said, The secret to managing a baseball team successfully, you've got 25 guys, 10 hate you, 10 love you, five are undecided. The secret to winning is keeping the five undecided away from the 10 who hate you. And I think there's a lot of truth to that as well. There's not a lot of strategy uh, that Larusa ever employed. Um, when Whitey Herzog was here, he could manage circles around somebody like Larusa, and it was Whitey who pretty much famously said that managers should only be responsible for about ten games a year, where he makes a difference. Otherwise, just write your lineup in and let him go. And that's where Larusa and I were, we played part of the Red Sea. Uh, he wanted he was a micromanager who had to have control of every pitch, every play, and Never did anything in terms of aggressive baseball. He loved to sit back and wait for the home run. 
that was the game that he wanted to manage. So that was, those are the kind of players he wanted to get. And when he kept claiming that he preached this hard nine, the Cardinal way, he was just a funny. Uh, Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols never hustled. They, they still don't. And they get away with it. So this kind of business is the Cardinal way, if you, if you want the truth about it, and I told the truth about it, the Cardinal way is if you're one of his favorites, you don't have to hustle. And that's what got Scott Rowan out of here, because he crossed pools and the Russo side with pools. I think also the fun, you know, as you talk, it, it is fun because it makes me think. And it, his his famous beanball wars. Oh, hey, well, you could you could throw it, guys. You just can't throw, you know, up or you know that he he seemed like he wanted to control the game as if he, you know, people make fun of jo- Joe Madden a little bit in this town, but Tony was the king of of that. Where well, we can throw it, guys, but we know how to do it. We're good at it. Well, he thought he, he thought he ran everybody's team. And he was going to lecture you on where you could throw at a guy or where you could not throw at a guy. And the rest of the team said, you know, that's you. And I don't know who he thought he was, but uh, he, he managed some of the dirtiest players I've ever seen. Chris Duncan was one of the dirtiest players out there. So was Holiday. Both of them injured players sliding over the base at second base. And so Scudero was the guy that Holiday got for the Giants in the playoffs. And the Jimmy Rollins was the one that Duncan took on. And both teams resented it and both retaliated and Russo made a big deal out of it. Same way with the the, the infamous Molina Brandon Phillips skirmish that Molina started, and then and then Larusa and Dusty Baker got into. Of course, they Larusa made sure he didn't get too close to Dusty Baker. And uh, Holiday went, uh, went after Chris Carpenter in the middle of that melee. People forget about that. I'm sorry, uh, Scott Rowland went after Chris Carpenter, and Chris Carpenter's lucky Rowland didn't catch up to him. <laughs> because Rowan looked like a, a, a raging bull at that point after the Cardinals started this. But Larissa thought he could control every team, and other managers said, you know, I don't know who you think you are. Now, there are some who sucked up to him, like Joe Madden, um, but others said, you know, like Bruce Boshi, hey, that's my team up. We play the way we want to. You know, and you famously sort of got under his craw with some, some Dave Duncan talk, and I know you, I thought you had him on a few times, too, and it just was a funny thing to me that he would get so worked up over something Bernie Miklas would write, or the you know the Post Dispatch would some put something out about the Cubs, and he I'm not talking to you. But you did have contact with him, right? I mean, you in, until the end uh, when I guess what, well, the Dave Duncan thing was. I remember shown a few times, um, but at, at, at the point where he just you know as long as you were complimentary of him, he was fine being on. But once you started to question him. Uh, then he wanted no part of, of taking uh, part in any kind of an interview. And so I just stopped having him. And then the Duncan issue reared its ugly head because of a producer um, not telling Duncan that he was going to be on the air and Duncan claiming he was never told. Uh, but if, but I told him right before the interview started. So I know he was told. It's on the tape. But they wanted to make a big issue out of that. <clears throat> and so I really didn't care to have Duncan Oilers on anyway anymore because they would never keep him um, I'm not one that interviews many players because they're bad. They've got nothing to offer. I think if I'm a part of the audience listening, I'm thinking, this guy, get him off. I mean, they're, they're, they just, they're not skilled at doing an interview. Most of them. Most of them don't have a personality. Their talent is playing baseball or playing hockey or basketball. It's not speaking. And so I think it bores the audience. 
Now, my favorite thing about your show is when you have callers, because I think callers think, oh, I'm going to call Kevin and I'm going to let him have it. And then <laughs> you're very good at, at making sure that you've, you've won the argument at the end. And, and I think you enjoy it. It seems to me like you enjoy when callers want to call in. Tell me a little bit about that style of just letting callers come in and then just sort of kind of dig themselves into a grave. And then they're like, all right, Kevin, carpe diem. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not, it's not hard because most people that want to take you on uh, don't really know what they're talking about. And so it's pretty simple when you, as I've always preached to people, if you call here, have a point. Three simple words, have a point. If you don't have a point, it's easy to destroy it. And the easiest way to win the debate, if, if a caller t- says ten things and nine of them are right, you go after the one that's wrong. And you leave the other nine alone. That doesn't happen too often, but that's how you would attack it. And so, uh, they can't, it's a position they can't defend. I know they can't defend it because the facts are against them. So, unless you have the facts in your favor, your point is worthless. And most people are intellectually lazy and don't, uh, um, present themselves well with researching facts. And so when they go and get all hyped up and want to tell you where to go, you know, call, calling me a name without any substance to it is sort of juvenile. We we talked a little bit about the Cardinals of, uh, before, so I, I think I've seen you uh, have some sort of loose feelings on the new manager. Just tell me a little bit about what you think of the Cardinals in 2019 and the way they're going about it. It's very early. Well, I haven't even I, played I, yet. I think, they took the, I, think, I think they took the cheap route again. You know, they, and I think when they hired Matheny, they took the cheap route. And so they haven't paid a manager much money since LaRusso. And the results are pretty obvious. Uh, they had some good players when Matheny first started out, but his management was atrocious. And Mike Silt, uh, he continued and he's a career coach. Um, he, he now has dug himself a hole by claiming that the Cardinals have five number one pitchers, number one starters. Now that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard come out of a manager's mouth, and I've heard a lot of dumb things. But that's the dumbest, because he has now set himself up to fail. If he doesn't win the World Series, he should be fired. If you don't win the World Series with five number one starters, then you're a terrible manager. And if you do win, now you, I, I would say, well, you should have. You have five number one starters. So he set himself up to fail. Of course, he doesn't have five number one starters. He doesn't even have one. And so he put himself in a hole. All this asking some of the players makes a manager look like a buffoon. Madden tried that in Chicago, and they're sick of him. So it's just simply go out and manage Learn how to do interviews, quit making stupid comments, and I think a manager would do just fine. There are plenty of them who do it that way and succeed. I, uh, Bruce Bochy, for instance, uh, now he's retiring after this season, um, but you've got guys out there who know what they're doing. You just don't hear a lot about them because they don't run their mouths, like Barusa, uh, like Mike Schilt did, who hasn't accomplished a damn thing. Five number one starters. Who? Wait, wait. So, so Kevin, I, let me, I, I let me, think it's hilarious. Let me and, just. And I look at the I look at the team, <laughs> and I see the improvement with Goldschmidt, but I don't see it improved anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I want to interject, Kevin. I mean, you don't think Michael Waka is as good as Max Scherzer, and you don't think that uh, Carlos Martinez is as good as Clayton Kershaw. I mean, I, I have to. <laughs> just... No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just... no, I do not. No. The, the, the best Cardinal starter is probably number three on another team, on any other team, just about. Yeah, I don't, you know, obviously they're not number one. I don't, you're right. I don't think they have number ones. I just don't understand 
when this is the rotation you started with in 2018 and you couldn't get to June 1st with three of these guys, why why you think you could try and roll this out again? I, that's my only thing, and I know they'll tell you, oh, well, we've got all this depth. But but why why on April 1st are you still screwing around with who's going to be the closer like they did last year, which I'm sure they'll probably do this year? It seems like they, they can't name a closer. They're just no. going to throw these guys. Oh well, we've got you know ten guys, and we'll let them battle it out. And it it just that's what bothers me is, I, and I know it's a different game, but in two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six, we weren't going. Well, we'll just see if uh, this works, and then we'll fix it in June. They were ready on April first to play. You know, I don't, I don't understand. I guess they've won twice by coming through the wild card and coming from behind, and they, I just get the sense that they just feel like, well, that's the way the game is played now, and, and I just disagree with it a little bit. Well, I don't know how, how they think because they make those kinds of statements that show screen and not thinking. And it's, I look at this team, as I said, with an improvement from Goldsmith, but nothing else. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth that's proven. They have a lot of young arms, but we don't know what they can do as starters in the major leagues. Most of them haven't started a major league game. So what are they going to do? Because we know the injuries will come to Waka. We know Martinez is already hurt. We know he's a head case on top of that. We know more than likely Wainwright won't get past two starts, and he'll be hurt. I mean, so now 60% of your rotation is going to be gone, disabled, or taking time off because they can't get through till flag day. Yeah, it's a lot of hope and praying. Um, I did want to – I did – we brought it up a little earlier, but just how when when sports radio started, it, it, people seemed to laugh at it. Like, who oh, who's going to listen to sports all day? And now – you know, XM is basically that is how they've made their money is by having 55 sports channels and FM radio has two or three sports channels in big cities. Tell me about those early days, though, when people, um, you know, weren't thinking this was going to work. And, and it, I like I said early on, I feel like your show was so different that it helped carry it through those early days because um, you were on during the day from three to seven, just literally ripping down Fred Ebenezer Coolman and the post disgrace. I mean, I just remember all the things you used to say. Um, tell me about those early days, though, just kind of uh, creating that that format and the way it had it literally exploded. Basically, I don't know, ten years ago. Well, Rich Gray. I mean, it's been, it's been over twenty years. So. Rich Gray was a guy who had the vision as the general manager at the time. It was KASP All Sports ASP, and it was thirteen eighty AM. And that, that was the debut of sports talk radio in this town, other than what Tim Rex with their open line format had done. But this was the first all-day, all-sports show. And there was a combination of some syndication and some local shows, but it was mostly local shows. And it worked. Now, I think it worked mostly because our show was so different. You can't have the same types of shows on all day long. People will definitely get tired of that. I mean, you can't tell most guys from the next guy because they don't they don't have anything unique about what they do. You can put, for instance, Bernie Nicholas, you can put any idiot on there to recite statistics all day. It's boring, it's dull, and it's not unique. As Howard Cosell once told me, find the void and fill it. And when you find the void and fill it, you have really made your show stand out and it's unique. And that's what we've done. We've never been afraid to tell the truth. That's what the show is based on. Whether that truth infuriates people or not, it doesn't matter. And sports fans have these great emotions that guide them 
whether the facts support them or not. So that's what creates a firestorm sometimes because the fans are as bad as the players or management. They hate hearing their team talked about in any kind of a negative way. They hate hearing that their team is not the greatest team in America. And to say it isn't, uh, they don't like you. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. I've, I've never been afraid to be the bad guy. It doesn't bother me a bit as long as I'm telling the truth and as long as I'm being fair, and I think I do both. Yeah, and the other thing you did that I remember thinking, wow, I've never heard this done, and obviously it was early on, but you would take on a Bernie Miklas or you would take on a Randy Carricker because you, you didn't see media on media, uh, I don't want to call it crime, but basically just saying, eh, these guys aren't, you know, Bernie's just bloviating. And I, you know, I like Bernie sometimes. Bernie sometimes um, says things that I just I kind of question because he didn't say the same thing last weekend. But I, I thought that was interesting that that's what you did because it feels like from what I saw, media people just kind of want to be friends and hey, he's my friend, he's my friend. You had no interest in being friendly with people if you didn't agree. No, no I have no interest in being friendly with players. Managers or management, uh, I, they're not my friends. I, I have a job to do, and I have to be a fair and open-minded about them. If you're friends with them, you'll never be open-minded. You'll just give the company line, which is what the media does in this town. And that's why I went after those guys on the air, because they were part of what was wrong with this town. They were nothing and still aren't. They're nothing but ass kissers. That's what they do now. And they do it for a living. Uh, the, when you, when you listen to anything on the FM station, it's nothing but ass-kissing of the local teams. And it's the same with the play-by-play. You know, the Cardinals and the Blues have now, and many teams around the country are the same, but they've turned the, the job of the play-by-play announcer into a, a guy who just has to kiss their ass or he's done. And so if you want that job, you've got to be good at ass-kissing because they won't, they won't stand honesty. Tim is one of the most honest broadcasters I've heard around the country. Others others teams have some, but the Cardinals aren't alone in, in destroying that job. They've made it such a worthless job to the point where they think anybody can do it. And so they put people on with zero training, zero experience, and zero talent. You had this uh, interesting relationship with Kurt Warner. I was always interested. You loved Kurt Warner. Um, tell me a little bit about how how you became such a fan of his. I know everyone in this town was, but um, you know it, we always thought of you kind of just kind of you know kind of bucking the trend. But who who couldn't love Kurt Warner, right? I mean, even when he was injured, you sort of defended him, which was kind of an interesting take for you because sometimes I was enough. I thought I'd had enough with Kurt Warner, but you pretty much defended him all the time. Well, I defended him when he was injured because he was injured. And people were trying to run him out of town and acting as though somehow he couldn't play anymore. I knew he could. And I said so. And I said it'll be a mistake to let him go. And it was. As it, as it turned out, he then took the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, to the Super Bowl. So it was a terrible mistake in judgment, and it all came from Mike Martz. And the media, of course, was the same way. The media flows the way that the general public flows or the way the teams want them to say it. So they were t- they all turned against Kurt Warner. The same guy who had, had done more for this community and had succeeded on a spectacular level was one of the greatest rags to riches stories ever. Now all of a sudden should be gone and he can't play anymore and who cares? And that's how they acted toward him. But that's because the, the team acted that way toward him. And that's what the media does. They follow the team's lead. So there's just an extension, a PR extension of the team. And as far as I was concerned, 
there was nothing about Kurt Warner that wasn't the same except that he was injured. And that proved to be true. You don't just lose your talent, you know, overnight. There's a reason for his inability to hold the football because he had a broken hand and a broken thumb. You had to enjoy Mike Martz's tenure as a coach here, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, I actually did like him until the last year or so. When he, the year that he released Kurt, uh, I know it infuriated John Shaw and, and uh, Jay Zygmunt because they went to him and they said, All right, if you're going to release Kurt, we've got to do it before the, the March deadline where he is due a $6 million roster bonus. He said, no, I'm going to keep him. So they kept him, paid him a $6 million roster bonus, and then March released him. And they were infuriated by him. And, and he became so arrogant. In, in his early days, he was fine. He was, I loved him. But he got, he became so arrogant. And no one could question him. He was a, he was a mad genius in his mind. And he became insufferable. Yeah. It was, it was, it was hard to watch at the end. Um, a couple more minutes here with the, the king. Can I get, I get a carpe diem, Kevin, real quick while we're here? Carpe diem. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, so the Blues, I have a lot of friends of mine who are a little younger than me who haven't seen all the heartbreak that I've seen. And I came up with this theory that, you know, the older you get, you see more lo- you see more losing. You see more losses. You see more terrible losses. And some of my friends did not see that early 90s stuff with the Blues when you thought they were going to be great. Um, so I'm just kind of hardened by what any sort of 12-game win streak or any sort of here they come or this is the best team they've had. Your thoughts on the Blues, and are they are they cursed? <laughs> I, I know it sounds stupid to say, but boy, well, it feels that way. It's not cursed so much as it is horrific management decisions. The team ownership doesn't have the wherewithal financially to get players to make a difference, really. They, and then when they do spend some money on a player, it's usually wasted on a bad player. And so it's been the decisions, mostly of Doug Armstrong, that have turned this team into a basic team that really doesn't excite you. Uh, they go on this 11-game winning streak, and that's exciting. But, you know, let's see what they do the rest of the way, because we saw what they did for the first half-plus of the season, and it was horrific. Uh, the move to Bennington and goal was one that Ruby made, and that was a smart move. He coached that kid at Peoria, and it bucked Doug Armstrong. And Armstrong had, apparently for some insane reason, reserved the vet for Jake Allen. I don't know how you do that. There's a guy who's given, been given chance after chance after chance and has proven himself to be incapable. So Bennington has made all the difference, and it allows the defenseman to be less concerned about staying back. They can get into the offensive part of the game. And so now things clicked a little bit. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But the Blues have been a 15-plus year nightmare in terms of winning a championship. Uh, they've been in the finals early in their existence. But they haven't been in the finals in a long, long time since the sixties. Yeah, it's it's just it gets really uh, monotonous when they do the same thing over and over each year. Um, so we yeah. we started we started this by talking about you being on eleven ninety. There's always it seems like Dan Caesar calls you maybe once every month and says, "Hey, what are you doing?" So I, I feel like I have to ask. You're at eleven ninety now. Any any thoughts of going back to sports, or is it? Hey, I'm I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Well, I do sports and politics, so I still do sports, but I would never go back to just sports, no. I would never do just that. It's just, there's not enough. You know, how many days in a row can you talk about the Cardinals or the Blues? Uh, we have pretty bad teams in this region, if you haven't noticed. Missouri's terrible in basketball. They're mediocre at best in football. Illinois is terrible in both. 
sort of kind of hit on something. I just remember the 90s being sort of depressing because the Cardinals weren't good, we didn't have football, and the Blues were, were good but never would would break through. The 2000 year when they were the best sports city and they were on the front of Sports Illustrated kind of was the, the peak, and now we're kind of back. And now we're, we're even talking about this better together thing. I was just curious your thoughts on just how sports are kind of in a rough area, but some people even thinking better together could help that. I, I, I was, I'd like to get your take on it. <laughs> without the sports scene at all, it's one of the dumbest ideas that politicians have ever concocted. And it's to enrich themselves and empower themselves, of course. Uh, since I don't live in St. Louis County or St. Louis City, I shouldn't have a vote. But I do have a vote. If I want to cast it, I will not because it's none of my business. But to allow this to go to a statewide referendum is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And it's done for one reason, in order for it to pass, because it won't pass otherwise. But why should someone in Springfield or Cape Girardeau, or Rala, have anything to say about St. Louis Louis County. We shouldn't have anything to say about their towns or their cities. We shouldn't have anything to say about Kansas City. So it's it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, and it's concocted by lazy politicians, uh, incompetent people like Cruson in the city, Stanger in the county. So uh, people who live in St. Louis County are going to vote resoundingly against it. And why wouldn't they? Who, Who wants to bail out the city? city created its own mess get out of your mess on your own it's well uh, one of the reasons why i moved out of the city was the problems i I don't think i want them following me right (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i I, wouldn't either yeah and i was talking about how you you know sports was more fun i I remember and i I have to ask you because it's on my list sports plus was so much fun you you changed the way that show was when they started the pit and there was a memorable night with you and randy character is there anything I can't remember what the problem was, but it, it there was a there was definitely was a, a point where you guys kind of got after each other. Can you tell me a little bit about that night, that Sunday night at, at Mike Bush's uh, The Pit? Well, he, he made an insulting comment to me, and I didn't take it kindly. And um, I remember Norm Stewart telling me after the show, telling me that he and his wife were watching it, and Norm said I was telling Virginia, watch Virginia Kevin's going to go right over the table after him. Just watch, keep watching. <laughs> And, of course, that didn't happen, but in the aftermath, I told him if he ever said anything like that again, uh, he would have to answer to me, and it, it wouldn't be fun for him. And so that was the end of, uh, and I, I told them at that show that uh, with Bush, I didn't want to come on with him anyway. And even when Frank took it over, I did it a few times just for Frank because we're friends. But I told Frank, too, that from now on, I'm not going to do it. This was a good eight years ago, ten years ago, maybe, unless they paid me, you know, it was... Why should I drive down to their studio, give them good TV content, and they're not paying it? So that was the end of it for me. That's pretty much the end of it. I don't, I don't even know if they still have that show. I don't either. That's And that is also sad to me because those were kind of must-see shows. Um, and I, like I said, when you were on it, 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 you and Bernie and Randy, you guys would get going. And it's what, I mean, that's what guys do. That's They like to argue about sports, and that's part of the the fun of the whole thing, I, I think, right? Or, or I don't, it feels... Yeah, well, it is. I, I think it's, you know, you sit in a, in a bar and talk 
your buddies about sports and uh, it, it gets to that point and, and unless people are fools and uh, those guys were fools. They never did their homework. They didn't know what they were talking about. And so it was, uh, I wasn't going to sit there and listen to that crap and without, without saying the truth. They don't like the truth. That's the biggest problem with people in the media. <clears throat> they don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. Because they're afraid they'll lose their tickets or their buddy buddies with somebody, some player or whatever. So they can go around and tell people they're buddies. Kevin, it's all, it's, it's been, uh, a real pleasure today. It's always entertaining to hear you talk. I always enjoy your take. Um, and again, once one more time, just let people know. Eleven ninety a.m. in St. Louis. It's from seven to nine. And then, how can I podcast that? Because that has been the one thing. I'm like, how do I hear this when I uh, when I want to hear it on my time? Yes, it's Slayton TK. Slayton TK is the podcast site. All you have to do is go there and you have all the shows. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. How about one more carpe diem before we before we carpe head? Carpe diem as we go out. <laughs> I enjoyed that chat with Kevin Slayton. Hopefully you did too. Always enjoy hearing his take on the sports world, current and previously. Always enjoy hearing him uh, kind of taking down the man. Reminded me of my childhood, so I enjoyed uh, talking to Kevin. And you can, like I said, listen to him on 1190 AM, and he's still offering up hot takes every morning. It's uh, it's fun if you can flip over and get 10 minutes in. It's It's always fun to hear. Kevin Slate, and that reminds me to tell you to check out my sponsor of this show, stlmasses.com. Five locations in St. Louis, right there at stlmasses.com. You can look up their menus. You can find their locations, big portions. Fun place to go. Saturday night, it's cold and rainy. We're going to Masses, I think. That's where we're going. It's beautiful inside there, always fun. Good bartenders, lovely waitresses stlmasses.com. As always, check out my YouTube channel, ST Weekly, Sports Talk Weekly, the former show. I condensed it to ST Weekly, so go to youtube.com slash ST Weekly, subscribe. Cardinal content going up every day during the season, so hopefully you will be looking at that, and you can follow the show on Twitter, Brad Straubinger. You can follow it on Facebook at Here's the Pitch with Brad, and I have a website, Here's the Pitch.com. Here's-the-pitch.com. So that's all the fun places you can find me. Looking for advertisers in 2019. Hopefully you'd be interested. Just let me know through those avenues. But that's going to do it for today's show. That's uh, Here's the Pitch. I thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.